Survivors of Failure and Solitude by Alicia Ten years ago Send Tran 5664 Receive 5E18 Pry 6 Asus Ropped I commend the efficiency of the network already in place here. In two days' time, I have discussed the history and functionality of this unnamed cobalt colony with agents in all major cities, except Third, which is currently under a communications lock, in an effort to use no extra energy. The degree to which these people accommodate the core instability of their planet astounds me, although from now on I shall start using phrasing that I respect the core instability of our planet. I have not talked in any official capacity with the Omega Colony, however I have an ordinary trade order on my desk as I write this. Regarding my primary mission, my first impression is that these people have significant potential. The whole colony works as a massive tribe. Anyone within is family, and anyone outside is an enemy. They would probably have chased the rest of galactic society away with stone-headed spears and war cries in an earlier era. Now they make do with suspicion and propaganda. This is not blatantly self-destructive, but they are and will remain incapable of accepting outside help if nothing is done. I'm also concerned for individuals born within this colony who do not share tribal mentality. Historically, well, we've been concerned because of the outliers who acted in accord with their personal missions, as several examples from briefing shows. I'm unsure what the best options are for such outliers here. Regarding my secondary mission, as near as I am able to tell, and I am confident in my own discernment, the ultimate explosion of the planet is not imminent. I will continue to monitor, wakening, or sleeping. As an aside, could Fanlith toss me a bundle of the most brainless new sitcoms you can find? My people, for the foreseeable future, do not believe in junk food or brainless entertainment. To Lily senior magical medicine researcher of Fourth City, her people, her planet, and her individual city had achieved a success that would last countless generations. Her adoptive parents told her she was part of the first generation where people of her world were able to define, protect, and build all for themselves. Her teachers added that the outside world, well, it was nothing more than a bureaucracy that couldn't protect its citizens from warlords. Lily believed the things she'd been told, when she had occasion to think about politics and history at all, which wasn't often in her work, yet sometimes she wondered at the way her world seemed so small. There are only four cities. It's possible, at least for the grand overachievers, to learn statistical data that applied to all people, and everyone lived in fear of the planet's molten core. <clears throat> Respect, not fear. She was always told when she said something out loud, but in the privacy of her own mind, she accepted solidly that to her, there was no difference. Underground were the hot springs and molten rivers that were so easy to find accidentally. In Lily's birth family, she had been the youngest of a group of eight, younger by several minutes than her twin sister Kadai, as Kadai loved to remind her. When she and Kadai had been two, their parents had moved the family from the first city, farthest to the north, to fourth city, farthest to the south. Lili and Kadai had managed three hours on the hover bus without requesting a stop, but, as one, took off down the steps and towards the bus station bathroom. They had heard the bus explosion and felt the wave of flame right behind them. Grown-ups had said the bus should have stayed in the air longer, circled the station a few more times, despite the toddler's protests, or that it should have taken more pit stops to avoid expending so much energy in one place. 
Or that it should have landed on the other side of the station. Or something. Kadai seemed to buy the stories, and she and Lily never talked about it, but... Lily always considered the planet itself, rather than the mistakes of her people, to have killed the rest of her family. Kadai and Lily were quickly taken in by a large family in Fourth City, one that only had seven families and could not make any more of its own. They did the same thing the other children did. They went to school, they competed in academics and sports. They spent summers playing outdoors with neighbor kids. Still, Lily spent her childhood feeling separated from most of the kids who she called her siblings. They cared for her. They called her sister, just as much as she called them brother and sister. They squabbled over their fair share of the chores and clamored for her to choose each of them to help with homework first. But Lily and Kadai slept in a separate room from the rest of the clan, slightly above, loft-style, with avenues for sound still open. They had separate playthings, separate homework. The adults meant well, and the kids tried their hardest. But every time Lily looked over her own book and to the edge of the loft to see an after-hours pillow fight or witness some kind of romantic drama to draw two of the actual siblings near to each other, she understood. The twins revealed themselves to be different people from each other, but Lily thought that only brought them closer together. Lily liked science design. Kadai liked poetry and had a knack to gather all their classmates together to work on poems. Sometimes she'd make Lily write about science. Lily would always roll her eyes and produce the words, secretly loving every moment. And Kadai would always show with her own deep green expressive eyes that Lily hadn't fooled anyone. Kadai was family. Lily observed that not only at a time when she was too young to have language and simply grasped her sister's hand as a constant in a bright loud world, but also as she grew to adulthood and developed her mission to the world. Kadai was Lily's source of beauty in ideas. Lily's mental picture of Kadai had little to do with reddish scales, and more to do with the way Kadai could use a few words to draw Lily's tears out into the open, and then a few more to turn them into a thing of beauty, and then seal it all with her own special kind of love and trust. The world saw Lily as the valued one, as she refined her magical abilities and ventured into the dual world of magic mixed with technology, while Kadai seemed as if she'd simply lead an ordinary life, marry half-children, and build one more piece of the community. Lily knew the truth. Kadai was the only one who could give life to Lily's ideas. Without her, they were words and engineering objects, and nothing more. Children who had magical ability were segregated and trained from time they started school. This immediately put Lily, who could access magical power, in a different category from Kadai, who could not. Magic was a mixed blessing. Even naturally, with wind or coal, no one could draw too much power at once or in, in any individual area. Power so easily ignited the uncontrollable energy of the planet. Magic in particular made things blow up. Magic users had to do so in isolated areas surrounded only by volunteers. It seemed to Lily that she was destined for a very lonely life, although she forgot about that each time school was over and she was able to rejoin her sister. And then there was the day Kadai didn't come. There was a part of Lily that understood that nothing she could do could actually bring Kadai back, that at most she could prevent any other sisters, or brothers, from losing siblings in the same way. And... After the tumultuous events of the past several days, Lily understood how it was even the world itself that was hurt and killed and needed to be healed, more than any individual person even. 
When Lili finished her formal schooling, she applied to Fourth City Hospital to work for them as a medical technology scientist. They thanked her for her interest. Lili walked straight over to the waiting room and proceeded to heal the very first patient she saw, who had bruises and broken scales all down the left side of his body. The patient, whose name Lili never learned, took off through the waiting room and all the way through the parking lot to vanish. Lily received the strongest lecture she'd ever heard about how all magical abilities must be used in as much isolation as possible, and how lucky she was she hadn't triggered the unstable magma on which their city had formed and gained the power, and how she should be grateful not to be arrested. A week later, Lily showed up at the hospital again. She carried a drawing made to look historical. She'd done it herself with colored pencils, reconstructing her paternal grandfather's stories, passed down from her father, and remembered only in tiny fragments. It was labeled Magitech. When the downright angry-looking research administrator showed up this time, rather than giving her a chance to yell at Lily, Lily silently and quickly sent out a silent apology to anyone who might truthfully be out there and said, you know what all those authorities can do? She put as much scorn into the word authorities as she could. This. Will they outdo us? With me, you can do better. The director shunted her out quickly, but already with her instructions. She was assigned a lab in the woods, well away from people and the chance for minimal damage if Lily blew herself up, and instructed her to make a Magitech healing ray. She'd had every intention of developing the ray anyways, and if she blew herself up in the process, well, she wouldn't. Now. Send. Trans-6164. Receive 2E48. Pry-4. Asis. Aopt. Porcour Elegan, who is currently overseeing the information network of the southern two cities, has traced down the location of the chain explosion foreseen, located west of the fourth city hospital. I have been transferred to the 4th City Hospital Administration staff. Regarding my secondary mission, I will definitely arrive in time to prevent the explosion. I will send further communications regarding new development as it relates to both my primary and secondary missions as I am able. Lily put her hands through the straps of the gold metal tubes. She used one lithe motion born of several days' constant practice. The tubes connected through thick wires to a miniature backpack. It had a metal neck piece upon which Lily could choose either to touch with the back of her head or not. All of Lily's attempts had used traditional computer-style interfaces. The ultimate complexity of programming responses to all possible commands had defeated Lily. She liked science, but she wanted to envision and build, not program. She'd had a brainstorm that if she was infusing a machine with the ability to heal... She could infuse the machine's command interface with the ability to transmit images directly. The magically conductive metal didn't transmit language. That would defeat the purpose, since Lily would then have to program in the language. Instead, it responded to imagery, to concepts, connections. The interface worked perfectly for a magical person, and in theory, it would work equally well for a non-magical person. But the test for that part would have to wait. Please work, Lily thought. Please. She squeezed her eyes shut against sudden tears and aimed both tubes at the fragile, injured butterfly in the box that rested on her lab table. Oh, the machine can't be a dead end. Please work. Images of Kadai, hurt and alone, sprung in place of the butterfly. This device had to fix it. It had to fix Kadai. 
Lily realized her mistake a fraction of a second before it would have been too late again. In all her other trials, Lily had seen her dying sister superimposed over random forest animals on whom she was actually testing the device. It had seen a person, too, and it had set the heel beam intensity accordingly. The one-winged butterfly was so much smaller than Kadai. Lily had to see the butterfly itself if she was to not crush it again. She could not see the past. Since it was too late to stop her invention from responding to her will, instead she swung the tubes to the right. A couple of spare computer parts were fried in the ray of healing energy. Sov, Lily's elder lab assistant, and the only one of the three who could do anything with a computer, besides turn it on, yelped in indignation. Without taking more than a step, he swung his long tail around and snatched the rest of the computer to safety. Lily again pointed the tubes at the butterfly, willing caution, delicacy, control. It's a butterfly, she thought, over and over. She filled her mind with images of delicacy, fragility, and then of the wrongness of the creature's condition. Butterflies should have two wings, not only one. Heal. She tried, even as she knew her invention couldn't pick up the word. Couldn't pick up any of the words, but she refused to allow herself to drift this time. She added pictures of rightness, of color. The butterfly managed to wake up, lift itself from the box into the air, and land on Lily's nose before Lily noticed her success. It had worked. It finally worked, Sov said. Now let me try. Lily stuck her lithe tongue out at him, tasting the air on the way back. It wasn't quite hospital air in their little research lab out in the forest, but it wasn't quite forest air either. Sterilization and clean white lines existed here, superimposed over soft sunlight and reflections from wood. The whole point for our invention is to have non-magical users, remember? Let me try, Sov said. Lily, still able to think only of her success, absently said, do we even have any more creatures to heal? Back at the beginning of the project, she'd been horrified by the idea of deliberately injuring lab animals for test subjects. Rather, much to the chagrin of her two assistant volunteers, the three of them spent every morning scouring the river and woods for injured wildlife on an ongoing basis. They didn't even have much of an idea what was in the area. It was far enough out of the city to be unexplored. That morning, the one-winged butterfly, now a whole and healthy butterfly, had been their only find. Ilda came in at that moment, holding a struggling squirrel. How about him? she said. The squirrel wasn't badly hurt. It had been scraped by one of the forest sticks, leaving a long, shallow gash on its side. The gash would probably heal on its own, but if Lily's invention could do so instead, the squirrel would be free of infection. You wouldn't be able to aim just my machine at him while she held still like the butterfly did. The butterfly fell asleep. The squirrel has to be held in place, Lily said. Experimentally, she aimed the tube strapped to her left hand at the squirrel, keeping her head away from the neck piece. No matter which direction she approached from, Ilda was also a target. The squirrel was just too small. Sov tugged at the backpack. He said, I should do it. You owe me a chance to try out the machine now. You just broke my computer. Yeah, said Lily. She accepted that either she'd destroyed a working computer rather than spare ports, or, more likely, Sov indulged his love for exaggeration. Either way, it wasn't a good idea to dispute him. I just broke your computer with the same device you want to aim at Ilda, she added as an afterthought. And you should work on your computer someplace other than my lab. Sov chose to ignore Lily's last remark. You can teach me how to make a device gentle, 
and you can heal Ilda if anything goes wrong, he said. I'm not a good healer, Lily said. Oh, she'd healed plenty of animals and people, including the patient in the hospital waiting room, without her ever in her life making anything blow up. But she hadn't been able to save Kadai, and therefore she wasn't a good healer. Nothing else mattered. Ilda ignored that, as both Lily's assistants always did, used to as they were of Lily's litany that she wasn't good. Let him try, she said. She held the squirrel out in Sov's general direction. It was funny how Lily was supposed to be the leader of the team and yet wasn't. But, as she unstrapped her invention, she realized something in the exact same way she realized she had to show her invention the butterfly was smaller than a person. The invention wasn't an it, but a she, Lily decided. Sov would have to think she instead of it, or he wouldn't stay in control. This is Kadaidai, said Lily as she finished the straps. Sov nodded. Do you have that? Lily said. Sure, said Sov. Come on, show me how it works. She said Lily. Fine, show me how she works. You know Kadaidai doesn't use language. She didn't say anything more on that subject, considering just how long and painfully she and Sof had already tried working to instill language into a magical healing invention, and now wasn't the time to think about failure. The magically conductive neck piece just worked for me. At least I think it did. If it was just my powers that Kadaidai was using directly, then you won't get anything through to her. But if it worked, Kadaidai will be able to pick up meanings you assign to things. You have to speak to her that way. You have to picture the squirrel as it would look healed. And you communicate the meaning of that healing to Kadaidai. All right, <clears throat> I do understand, said Sov. Lily wasn't sure how much Sov did understand, considering how indescribable non-language communication had been to her a few moments before she'd just experienced it for the first time. But Sov and Ilda were right, and Lily was most likely able to deal with any accidental damage. But, more importantly, they were volunteers. To completely take the situation out of Lily's hands, they considered themselves to outrank her, even if they were all equals officially. They were Lily's elders, both married, several children each. Lily was barely old enough to consider starting a family. Thus, she needed to listen to them. It was the way it was. Lily found comfort and security in the fact, although she'd never admitted to her friends. So Lily just stepped out of the way. She was surprised to find herself flooded with as much mingled hope and fear as before. Please let this work. This has to work. Please, she thought to herself. But, but don't let Ilda get hurt. Just work. The experiment was interrupted by a frantic pounding on the door. Come back tomorrow, Lily yelled impatiently. The experiment was interrupted by ambulance silence, compounded by the frantic pounding on the door. Lily didn't recall the sirens as having been there a moment before, and she was instantly embarrassed by what she had just said. Hoping no one had heard her above said sirens, she flung the door open to admit a man in hospital scrubs. Emergency! He was not visibly out of breath, but the words were terse and clipped. We have a patient who needs to be magically healed or he'll die. Lily went out the door with the newcomer. Sov and Ilda followed right on Lily's footsteps. Sov still had Kadaidai strapped to his back, and Ilda still held the squirrel. The ambulance, which had been hovering a few feet off the ground, landed again several feet away from the group in an easy reach of the lab. Lily expected that it dropped off the man in the scrubs and then took off for a few minutes to disperse energy. It was such a standard process, most people didn't even think about it. The ground under what must have been the original landing spot felt warm, but not dangerously so. Lily could feel the heat even through her shoes, because heat-conducting shoes were also standard. 
Best to know when things were about to blow up, and gave you a chance to run. Ilda took a few steps back. I'll set the squirrel on the floor if you need me to help, she said. I'd rather not... I think he might get sick if he runs away without his wound treated. They all knew magical healing was a one-person job, and all observers best be ready to run in case of explosion. Rather than saying any of that, Lily said, Tomorrow's task is to build cages for injured animals. She and Ilda chuckled. Another unfamiliar man in scrubs pulled a stretcher from the back of the ambulance. The stretcher's wheels retracted. It hovered at waist level over the open back door, and then the wheels extended again and Lily could see the patient. It was obvious why standard healing wouldn't work. One of the patient's arms had been amputated at the shoulder, but infection spread from the joint and in all directions, flaming red and angry. Lily swallowed hard. Usually when she said she couldn't heal, she was just using that phrase to describe the indescribable. This was a wound that seemed beyond her ability to heal. Sove, his presence so familiar all this time that Lily had not noticed him, strapped Kadidai back to Lily. You still owe me a new computer, he whispered. He backed up a couple of steps. Everyone was still too close. They'd all be hurt, or worse, if she triggered an explosion. Well, all eyes on her now. Lily opened her mouth to say she couldn't do it. There was too much risk. She was just too inexperienced. The driver of the ambulance, a man dressed in a business suit rather than scrubs, strode over to Lily from the other side. Picture it this way, he said softly and close to Lily's ear. Lily struggled not to flinch away. He was too close, which is a dumb thing to worry about at a time like this. She opened her mouth again to tell everyone she was sorry she couldn't heal the, the patient when he interrupted. The infection that lives in the patient is the same as the fire we live over. It's the same essence and the same wrongness. The asymmetry of this man is the same as the asymmetry in our lives as people. It's also wrong. Drop power, slowly, gracefully, and set it right. Without Lily's conscious decision, as the man spoke, she moved her back neck to rest on Kadidide's neck piece. Blue-purple light emanated from the tubes. The ground grew warmer as the energy drew from it, but it remained solid. The patient glowed. It seemed like an eternity to Lily, but in actuality it was only a few moments, as she'd find out later. And then the glow dissipated, and the patient slowly sat up. He now had two arms. The scales on the new one were a little more reddish than those on the rest of his body. The first man in scrubs said, That's the most amazing thing I've ever seen! And then he pushed the patient right back down into a lying position and said, You stay put until we know you're well. Amidst protests and a chorus of, I feel fine from one person and thank you from all the others, the two men in scrubs moved the patient back to the ambulance. The man who pounded in the door moved as if to let the passenger aside, but the man in the suit shook his head. You hadn't head back, he said. I'd like to hear more about this magical healing technology. I'll catch a ride later. After the others had left, the man in the suit offered his hand to Lily for shake. My name's Rock, he said. I'm the new research supervisor for City Hospital. How did you know how Kadidide works, she said. Well enough to tell me all that, I mean. Oh, lucky Gaius, said Rack. He quickly continued, I read your last report, of course. I didn't know you named your invention. Uh, don't forget my invention is she now, and I don't care how childish that sounds. She clearly works. We were just getting ready to have Sov test her on the squirrel. I don't think that's a good idea. You just saw Kadidite heal a person, said Lily. She felt more confident, not only because she had succeeded, but because her co-workers had made it clear they would not be bossed around. 
Besides, I owe it to Sarv to give him a try. Yeah, buy up that. <clears throat> Sov and Alda, he said, slightly mispronouncing their names in the way anyone who had read them from a page without meeting the people would do. I'm afraid you're off the project. You're both to take a rest day off paid and report to the hospital in the morning. What? Lily said. Right behind her, Sov let loose a string of language that Lily was sure to let Rock know exactly what Sov thought of his authority. Kadai wouldn't have let Lily hear some of those words. What authority do you have? said Ilda. Really? I mean... <laughs> I really am research director at the hospital, said Rock. I came from Second City a couple days ago. I've been reviewing the research records. There isn't any problem with either your performance. It's just this project ain't safe for people with families. So you're saying Lily's life is less valuable than mine? Ilda said quietly. I'm saying Kadai-Dai, which Rack did pronounce correctly with the accent of the first syllable, is too dangerous for anyone besides Lily. How on earth can you know that? said Sov. Well, Lily's the only one who's ever used her, said Rock. Lily's the only one who's tried, said Sov. Can you understand how to control something that doesn't use language, said Rock, especially with that molten core below us, ready to ignite if you get it wrong? Was the language thing in our report, said Sov, ignoring the last part because, as Lily knew, well, the power of the world was to be respected, not feared. Sov immediately turned to Lily. Did you put that in the report? Uh, yeah, said Lily. I had to. Ilda gestured back at the lab with her free hand. We've probably already put too much magical energy into this space, she said. Let's break for the day and discuss it in the morning. Yeah, I actually have uh, different assignments for both of you, which do not involve coming back here in the morning, said Rock. Sov and Ilda ignored him. Following suit, Lily walked ahead of Rock, but behind her friends, into her familiar lab. She carefully unstrapped Kadai-Died and placed it on the lab table. Then she turned to the squirrel in Ilda's hands. Carefully, she put one long finger on its side. She thought about life. She pictured the fully healed squirrel winding its way down Ilda's form and back into the woods. All life had its rightful place, including animal life. Lily felt that familiar power in her hands. The floor heated to what seemed like it could be dangerous in a second, but the squirrel matched action to Lily's imagination. It climbed down Ilda's lab coat, ran out into the still open door, fully healed. Nothing blew up. Lily held her breath a few moments longer, aware that everyone else was doing the same. Also aware of the magical energy that had just gone through her, and how exhausted she suddenly felt. Nothing happened. Well, you just played with fire, Rock said. But I'm glad you healed it. We play with fire every day we're alive, said Lily. It's the way the world is. Rock gave Lily another one of his thoughtful looks. I wish you'd stop acting like you know all about me, Lily snapped. Fair enough, said Rock. I'm sorry. But you're still reassigned, he said to Sov and Ilda. They all funneled out, leaving Kadai died behind in the lab now devoid of life. Well, devoid of biological life, Lily supposed. You're still a jerk, said Lily. Sov expressed the same idea with more colorful metaphors, and then stomped off to his car. Call me later, said Ilda, brushing a hand across Lily's shoulder. And Kadai died worked! <laughs> she headed in the direction of the clearing that the researchers used for parking. Lily thought to follow Ilda, just to get away from Rock, but the truth was Lily's own little solitary above-ground cave was close enough to the lab that she didn't drive to get there, and was in the opposite direction of the parking lot, which Rock would probably know. She debated for a second, then took a right turn from the lab, hoping to lose herself in the woods for a while.
She had lived in this specific cave in this specific forest all her adult life, and she had no fear she would get lost. Send, Tran 3864, receive 3E7, Aman, Pry 4, Usis, Arman. Even though my current post concerns my secondary mission more than my current mission, I do not think it is advisable for me to leave Fourth City yet. I would rather not have it be a matter of official record the number of attempts it took me to find the exact right words to enable the scientist to safely use her invention, but suffice it to say it was not an easy task, and the consequences of failure are to start the explosion and destroy the world. I am attaching my observations of Lily's invention. Please have the research division of the Legislator review them and send any pertinent information as quickly as possible. I am undecided about Lily's possible impact on my primary mission. She clearly thinks differently than the connected families whom I otherwise interact with, and in this way she is an individual who pushes the group. The things she believes need to be done are her goals, and the existing structure either helps or hinders. More people like her would present a serious disruption to existing structure rather than making it better. But I do believe the existing structure also needs to be improved, specifically for people like her. There were three things Lily had known all her life. People were taller than forest animals. They had scales and tails and clustered around on one or four cities on the planet. All the people came from other worlds. Lily's great-grandparents had been born off-world. This world was better than the others, or so she'd always been told. This world had seceded because the others had failed to protect them. They took care of themselves. There was one other colony nearby, uh, called Omega, not too far in terms of space, who talked with them and traded with them sometimes. They were other, and no resident of Omega could or would want to live here. The ground was hot. It covered a molten river at all points on the planet. No one could use too much energy in one place, but heat was power, and, well, people needed power. People had lights, plumbing, transportation, computers. It was not possible to get nearly all that power from oil or coal, and such was not available in the world even if it had been safe. They needed the molten river. Family created a sacred bond that was more important than work, more important than career, more important than friendship. Friends were the people you had fun with. You saw them every weekend or so if you were close enough. They drifted into your life at the prospect of interesting conversation and drifted back out with genuine concern and the promise to call and cycled back around again. But they were never with you in the middle of the night. Eventually they'd tell you that they cared about you, but they had to take care of their own families. Sov and Ilda were the best friends Lily had ever had as an adult. They were just that, friends. They each had their own families to care for. They'd miss her, not working together. Lily could call Ilda every night if she needed to, as long as she kept the schedule regarding Ilda's children's bedtimes and called in the 15-minute window between the oldest and the next oldest. Ilda cared for her, felt sorry for her, but she wasn't family. Sov was more distant yet. The walk home was torturous for Lily. The quick phone call with Ilda even more so. I think he's a politician, not a researcher at all. And the surrounding hours the loneliest yet. Finally, in the middle of the night, Lily decided that talking to Kadai died might not entirely be like talking to Kadai, but it was the best option Lily had available to her. Reveling in the fact that she actually was the one to make this decision, rather than Sov or Ilda or any stupid politician or administrator, Lily stepped out into the night. The stars were bright, hanging in all the familiar positions in the sky, and the night air was warm and comforting. 
Starlight reflected blue from Lily's scales. It would have been red-purple from Kadai's. The trees made only slightly darker than the sky silhouettes, and the landscape was very dark. Lily, having lived in the same woods her all her adult life, effortlessly found the path that would lead her back to the lab. She had only walked a few paces when a hovercar appeared on the horizon from the direction of the city. Hovercars weren't unusual. They were the safest way to travel, keeping their passengers above the world's surface, keeping their own energy usage also above the surface. And they didn't need smooth roads. But the particular hovercar came straight towards Lily, as if the driver knew she was there. Lily stepped behind a tree, took a deep breath, and froze. Danger. The car landed. Rock emerged from the driver's side. He walked straight towards Lily. Lily trembled. Her people dealt with facts. In school, both Lily and Kadai had been criticized for their penchant for the supernatural, how they were the only ones in their class to take ghost-hunting literature seriously or to turn in stories with twists at the end that had nothing to do with plain reality or even regular magic. Lily did not know of a magical way to track her location through the dark, so even the idea that Rock had magic in addition to his directorial power could not explain it. Her rational mind told her there was a different explanation. The rest of her mind, which was a lot louder, told her that she had just met a supernatural creature who could see into her soul. Then Rock stopped. Even though a second earlier he seemed as if he'd known exactly where to find her, he instead held his hands out, looking around, and called her name softly. Lily debated for a few seconds. To her great shame, her need for connection won over her need for safety. She took two steps out into the open. Why are you here, she thought. She opened her mouth to speak the thought, but what came out instead was, Why did you stop the rest of my experiment? She burst into tears, scales on her cheeks growing wet and hot. Rock held silence for a long moment. When he spoke, his words came out slowly, one at a time. Measured. Calm. He said, I mean you. No harm. Lily wanted to believe him. In her heart, she already half-believed him, she realized later. In that moment, her words felt the same as her tears. Uncontrollable. Unpredictable. So you think I'm just some stupid magical who's going to set the forest on fire? I've never blown anything up. Not once. Not even when my teachers made the projector screen burst into real flames. And, and... Rock gently put his hand over Lily's. I believe you. Your invention isn't dangerous because she doesn't work. I, I know she does. You think she won't work for anyone but me? I know she works for other people. But not everyone can control power without language. Kadai died can, Lily said, feeling more things than she could describe to herself. She was still angry and frustrated and lonely, but also proud. She looked over against the trees, barely visible, and at Rock's still-running car. Look, do you want tea or something? She said. She realized she did want to talk to him, and it was safer to invite him into her space than any of the alternatives here. Sure, he said. He retreated to the hover car, sailed it, and turned it off, and came back. They were settled at Lily's table with steaming mugs of tea before Rock spoke again. His voice was still deliberate, but far more conversational. I know your invention's a person, or will be. What you're doing is dangerous, but not for the reasons you think. Lily drank her tea and waited for Rock to continue. When Rock didn't say anything else, she said, Let's say I believe you. Kadidite is dangerous. She's also... I, I need her. The world needs her. She's worth the risk. Rock was silent for long enough that Lily thought he was not going to answer, but then he said, 
Alright, I believe you. And I want to work with you. Will you work with me to get Kadaidai tested and working as safely as possible? Lily thought about it for at least as long as Rock had been silent. She was afraid of so many things. In the end, it was the still poignant image of the specific things Rock had said to her that convinced her maybe he did understand. All right. Do we start tomorrow? Everything in its time, Rock said. He took his teacup over to her sink and rinsed it, and then quietly left. Lily wasn't sure about anything involving Rock, but she didn't leave her cave that night. Dawn was already visible through the window before she slept, and her dreams brought her sister's voice mixed with strange, connected images of the essences that healed the butterfly. Rock left Lily entirely alone for over a week to stew in her cave, think about her lab notes, and try to reach people at the hospital and throw rocks in the forest and heal injured animals the old-fashioned way and then call the hospital again. She felt as if she was a brand-new graduate tasked to prove her unique research idea all over again. I made Kadidide, she thought, her own mental voice sounding plaintive and weak. She isn't dangerous. If there was one thing Lily was sure of, it was that. Then a new thought came. She's probably lonely, too. The morning of the ninth day after her project was unexpectedly canceled, Lily barged into the hospital administration office in the exact same way with the exact same expression as she had all those years ago. She found the exact same person at the desk, too. She took a breath to deliver a speech starting with, Give me my project now, and froze. The research administrator, Gable was her name, shared a desk with Rock. Hello, Lee, Rock said. Pull up a chair. We're uh, trying to find you a good lab assistant. Lily sputtered. I think there's some chairs you could drag in outside the door, Gable said. I apologize they're not in here already. Lily did as she was told. She shut the door after herself and the chair, narrowly missing her tail. It smacked. Lily said, I was getting ready to yell at you for taking my project away. I still don't understand why you think I need a new lab assistant. Sov and Ilda worked together with me just fine. Gable gave Lily an amused look. Yes, according to my log of complaints from them, they agree. It was stupid, and it didn't change anything, but it made Lily feel better. She hadn't actually been left completely alone, except for Ilda's occasional calls the last few days. It was just the bureaucracy keeping her friends away. Except that seemed wrong. The bureaucracy is supposed to be out there, not here in her own world. Unfortunately, said Brock, both Solve and Yilda have too much personal strength to be able to use your invention safely. I've been trying to find someone who has far less raw strength and knowledge, or someone who has more discipline. So far, I haven't had success. Lily thought about that for a moment. It seemed reasonable on the surface, but something seemed off. How could Rock, who'd known Solve less than two weeks, judge his discipline? Lily suddenly said, Gable, what do you think? Gable visibly reacted to Lily's breach of etiquette in questioning Rock's judgment. Lily did too, but she controlled herself, attempting to find the same place of strength, determination, fear that had enabled her to burst into Gable's office and prove herself all those years ago. Rock met with Lily's eyes. What would you need to trust me? he said. Lily didn't even have to think about that one. Let me talk to Kadidide, she said. She's lonely. I can ask her why she's using so much power, and who else could use her? Gable shook her head. Lily felt the heat under her scales. Okay, said Rock. 
You have to promise just to talk to her, and there's something you need to tell her about. Lily took several deep breaths. She muttered an apology to both Gable and Rock, and then said, Go on. Let me ask you something to start, said Rock. So, I know how best to describe this. How do you see this world? Our world. Lily recited her lines. This world is full of energy. It should not be feared, but it should be respected. It powers everything we do. But that energy kills without good reason. It killed Kadiah for running the school music players a few minutes too long. It's harsh and arbitrary, and of course it should be feared. If the others hadn't yelled at Lily for her rudeness earlier, they probably wouldn't yell at her for that either. There's a reason for that, said Gable. When this colony was first built, the founders were told they should choose a different world. But this planet was convenient, cheap, and looked as if it could be mostly inhabited underground. But the terraforming technology and magic somehow set off a chain reaction inside the planetary core. It's bursting with poisonous magical energy. It should be both respected and feared. Whoever talks to Kadaidad now has to be either ignorant of the poison in the planet or to have a strong enough will to convince Kadaidad not to try and heal it, said Rock. Lily suddenly felt as if her head was spinning. Heal it? I made Kadai died so that if I could somehow turn back time all the way to that normal day in the school auditorium, the others could have healed. But heal the world itself? She can't actually do it, said Rock. She's pretty remarkable, but she's one small piece of Magitech, and she can only manipulate energy rather than produce it. Problem is, any attempt Kadai died makes to control this poisonous magical energy causes explosions. <clears throat> he corrected himself. Any attempt she would make. Would you permit me to explain more of the ways I know this later? Okay, she said. If that means you'll let me talk to Kadaidide now. <sighs> All right, said Rock. He ushered Lily out of Gable's office. Gable stayed behind at the hospital. Rock drove Lily through the city, back through the forested road, and to the lab door. She expected him to drop her off, then withdraw miles away. But instead, Rock sat on the ground beside his hovercar. He smiled. Go on, do what you have to do, he said. If anyone can teach Kadaidide control, it's you. Lily nodded. It was a few steps from the lab door to the table where Kadaidide still lay. Lily shut the door behind her anyway. She didn't lock it, since as much as Rock's superiority bothered her, he still did need to be able to get to her if anything triggered the magma. Maybe superiority wasn't quite the right word, she thought. Rock didn't have a superior attitude. He was actually quite polite. But he knew things that she didn't, and she should. And he doled it out to her and made her depend on him. Exactly like the extraplanetary oppressors that her teachers had warned her about. Then Lily realized she was correcting her thoughts by correcting her words, which was something Kadaidite didn't have the ability to do. She strapped Kadaidite on as she had, so many times, and leaned her neck back completely and immediately. Always before, Lily had been using Kadaidite to do something. She'd been deliberately manipulating her own thought patterns and images. This time she kept her own mind muted. Did Kadaidite have anything to say back? At first, all Lily heard was loneliness, isolation. And then, even without Lily's conscious control, but through her knowledge... Connections started to emerge to the sick world beneath Lily's feet. Don't heal, Lily thought, deliberately, over and over, even though Kadaidide wouldn't pick it up directly. 
she melded the thoughts with as many images as she could of wounds that shouldn't be touched right away. A person wounded by a practice arrow or a stick that couldn't be taken out. A person in a cave that might be stable at the moment but could come down from any movement. A person whose mind might break from an emotional storm and must be approached cautiously. Too much power. Don't add more, she added to her earlier litany. Lily added images of things that were overcharged, things that could burn. Then suddenly Lily was no longer in any kind of control. She saw things, meanings, worlds born and died. Stars crossed the sky, molecules imitated larger counterparts. Kedidite is putting this together for me, Lily thought in wonder. My mind. There was enough latent power in this small Magitek backpack to make a decent try at healing the small planet. And probably level it in the process. Wait, Lily thought. Don't heal. She didn't try to wrest control back. That would just make Kadiadite scared of her. Again, Lily saw planets being born and dying, and suddenly the vision crystallized, and Lily realized she was looking at her world dying. You'll make it happen if you try to heal it, Lily thought, accentuating each word with a number of corresponding images. Wait. That was easier, because patience existed in the world of concepts. So did helplessness, or helplessness alone or need for others. Kadiadide sent understanding, then she seemed to go quiet. Lily didn't have adequate words to describe the ceasing of the flow of images. She returned to awareness. Lily had expected Rock to let her stew for another week or so, or however long it took her to go take things into her own hands again, so she was pleasantly surprised to hear a polite knock on her door the very next morning. Both Rock and Gable waited outside the door. You've come to discuss my new lab assistant, right? Can we go to the lab? That sounds like a good idea, said Gable. They walked over, Lily leading the way with a firm step and not paying attention to how fluid or clumsy anyone else was. Gable seemed friendlier than she had ever before. Lily had always seen her as another administrator, part of the other that stood in the way of Lily saving her sister. Not that anyone ever could. But Gable seemed nice, understanding. Maybe Lily had misjudged her. When they were in place in the lab, Kadidide on the table, right where Lily had left her, Lily said happily, Okay, now that we've told Kadidide why she shouldn't try to heal anything but the target, let's get Sovanilda back. Sova never forgive me if he wasn't the first. Unfortunately, that won't work, said Rock. The Lily from a week ago would have said, How do you know that? And possibly added, Jerk, for good measure. Instead, she said, How do you know? and managed to make it into a real question. Let's sit down, Rock said, motioning over to the chairs and desks at the other end of the lab. I'm going to tell you something that you shouldn't spread around. I know because we already tried it. Two hours ago, we came here to the lab. Sov tried to use Kadidide to heal Ilda's scraped knee. Kadidide drew energy from Sov, and that was dissipated and started a chain reaction that would have destroyed this planet. None of you remember this, because from your perspective, it never happened. I rewound the events. I can do that for short lengths of time. Lily and Kadai had spent great portions of their alone time during their childhoods making up stories, space powers, time powers, thought powers. Everything that could be imagined was allowed. Sometimes they'd picture the nameless, faceless oppressors that their world was supposed to be so much better off without. And in all these stories, sometimes those people were evil. Sometimes they were misunderstood, but always they were powerful. 
Lily had never in her wildest dreams imagined she would actually meet someone who had superpowers. She came back from her reverie to realize she was grinning from ear to ear. That's not exactly the reaction I was expecting, said Rock. It's just... Kadai and I used to make up people exactly like you, and you're real, and... and you, I, She managed to stop spluttering, at least temporarily. Will you take me to be more of them? Oh, can you rewind something? Like, if I were to drop a pen, could you make it so it wouldn't fall? She chucked a pen off the end of the table. It burst and spilled blue ink all over the floor. I could, but you wouldn't remember it, said Rock, chuckling. And I'd prefer not to rewind completely trivial things. It takes energy and concentration. You should clean that up. Hospital property and all, Gable scolded Lily. Lily automatically got a washcloth from the lab sink. This wouldn't be the worst mess she'd caused or cleaned up, well, in a usual day in the lab. She had most of the ink off the floor when she looked up at Gable and said, You knew what Rock could do. Yes, said Gable. I'm sorry for not telling you before. Oh, you couldn't tell me. You'd be hunted down by people who wanted to use your powers, said Lily, sounding just like the 11-year-old she'd been when she'd assured Kadai of this fact in character. You, you have superpowers too, right? Gable exchanged a look with Rock. I have to admit, this isn't the reaction I was expecting either, she said, chuckling. I don't have superpowers. Rock doesn't either, not in the sense you mean. We're just not from this world. Memories of the real oppressors Lily had always feared clashed with the tragically superpowered heroes Lily had invented, and she suddenly put the washcloth down. Gable picked it up and wordlessly finished cleaning for her. I know it's a lot to take in, she said. I wanted to tell you before, but I couldn't. You still gave me a lab, said Lily. I still believe in you. And in your vision. Please believe me. Lily nodded. So, we absolutely can't get Solve or Ilda to test it. Your vision. I mean, Kadai died. I think it might be better to just test her off-planet. Uh, Lily, you seem like you're the only one who can use Kadai's peculiar communication to actually make her understand. It might be better to try where the ground isn't so explosive. Well, then... Are you going to take me to space? Lily said. Rock blinked. Um, well? She directed the question at Gable. Uh, Rock said, once again, you surprise me. Do you really want to leave, Lily? This is your home. Lily was tired of being lonely here. And even if being everywhere else meant still being lonely, well, it'd be with Kadai died and accomplishing something. Wherever you're going with Kadidite, I want to come, both or nothing. Rock gave her one of his rare smiles. Okay, he said. But it's going to be a while before I can leave this world, so it'll just be you and she off-planet. I'll arrange a non-magical lab assistant as soon as you're in space. Are you absolutely sure? Lily had never felt more sure of anything in her life. Yes, just tell Sov and Ilda where I went, please. Uh, we're going to need to have some kind of excuse for you and... The whole experiment being suddenly gone, said Cable. Rock looked up suddenly. No, I don't think that's going to be a problem. The emergency room is about to cause an explosion. Call Ambulance 3B and divert it here. Gable quickly and efficiently pulled up a lab communication system and did just that. Will there be someone else for Kadidide to heal? Lily said as she went to the lab table and strapped Kadidide on. Can you please just use your regular magic, said Rock. 
You'll use less power that way. Okay, Lily said. She didn't even feel all that disappointed, considering she'd just been promised a lab and assistance in space. The ambulance pulled up and dropped to the ground in one fluid motion. Lily was poised at the back as the medic took the stretcher out. A path of hot energy looked as though it had followed the ambulance. In the distance, it simply looked warm, with a few tendrils of steam and otherwise clean air. Up close, it looked like the bus explosion that had killed most of Lily's family. Like everyone had to get back right at that second. In the lab! Lily yelled. Everyone had to move to the greatest of his or her ability, but they all made it inside, and the front of the lab shielded them from the wall of flame that washed the windows and then evaporated. Hmm. Shall we be concerned for the forest? said Rock. There are flame guards all around this place for hundreds of feet in any direction, including down in the direction of all that magma, said Gable. So, no, not unless the explosion triggered anything else. I think we can concentrate on the patient. The girl on the stretcher had torn scales and a tail that had probably been caught in something. Lily winced sympathetically. She approached the stretcher, aiming Kadidide's tubes without thinking. Uh, let me, said Gable. I don't think my powers are quite as raw as yours, Lily, but I've used healing magic a few times. Slowly and methodically, Gable repaired muscle and scale. Lily chafed a little at being constrained, but appreciated the elegance of Gable's work. As Gable was almost finished, Lily felt the all-too-familiar heat beneath the floor. We have to get out of here, she yelled, pushing the doors to the woods wide open. Rock and Lily were the last people left in the lab. Rock positioned himself in exactly the right place to pull her out of the way of the rippling, melting floor. With Lily still wearing Kadidide, she and Rock were thrown backward through the window, or the space where the window and wall used to be, and into the woods. There was a deceptive silence and then a roar as the entire lab burst into flames. The Magma River was just barely visible where the floor used to be. It's... okay, Lily got out. Is anyone hurt? Gable, the two medics, and the girl on the stretcher were all on the side of the lab where the doors to the woods had been. The girl was sobbing. Patient's scared, Gable called. But we're all fine. The stretcher's still functional. Let's get her to a hospital on foot. You go, Rock said to Gable and the others. I'll catch up later. He said to Lily, quietly, do you still want to go off planet? Lily laughed, more out of surprise than anything else. We're both all ready for those promised new assistants. I'll just need to craft a new neck piece. The old one seemed to have been a casualty of the heat and Lily's fall, since there were only a few twisted remnants remaining. Rock said, too quietly for anybody but Lily to hear, My transport's hidden a mile or so in the woods, in the approximate direction of that fire, so I'll have to skirt around. You coming? He half walked, half jogged, in the direction he'd indicated at impressive speed. Coming, Lily said, suiting action to words. Send. Tran sixty-two sixty-four. Receive 18E41, A-man, pry for, immediate, R-man. At Lily's request, I am transporting her, along with her Magitech invention, to the roaming haven. While I appreciate the need for thoroughness in scientific research, it would be greatly appreciated if details about existing magical healing devices could be sent to my staff. I will not have enough time to debrief them before heading back. With the immediate threat to the planet gone, I am able to, effective immediately, return to my previous post and my primary position to improve the structure for the society. Please append records indicating any response the colonists made to any offers made through Omega Colony to siphon off the excess destructive energy of the planet. Such offers might be better received if they were made by colony members who think in a more 
in issue-driven individualist way, as Lely has demonstrated. Rock's transport, unceremoniously but cleverly hidden in a natural rock hollow with moss, turned out to be comfortable enough on the inside, but smaller almost than the average hover bus. It had more of a triangular structure than a rectangular one. You live here? said Lily without thinking, and she caught herself and said, I'm sorry, I mean... Rock chuckled. Not usually, he said. The back seats fold out into a bed of sorts, so it's possible to spend extended time here. I usually don't. We're just taking you and Kadidai to the roaming haven, and then I'm going to put this transport right back where it was and go back to work. The roaming haven will also stay where it is, but they should be able to get someone to take you to the Empire's magical research facilities. Five different stupid questions flitted into Lily's head, and all she wanted to do was to look out the window. Her need for information won out, though. The roaming haven is your ship? Well, it doesn't belong to me, but it's the ship I'm affiliated with. It's a bastion ship. Light cruiser, 115, 116, for a little while with you. I forgot, though, you seemed very confident for a while, but you don't have any background on any of this, do you? The bastion, or the empire, or... Well, anyone from somewhere besides your own colony? Don't you already know? Lily said softly. I don't know anything. I don't even know what the Empire is. Well, you're wise and perceptive. You can't know what you haven't been taught. Lily chose her words as carefully as she could. I was taught that we ran away from a group who were arrogant and oppressive. We had to solve our own problems. They whatever they is, wouldn't let us think for ourselves and couldn't protect us from anything bad happening. So we built our own life and they couldn't find us. Rock said, You're leaving this world, never intending to return, correct? You want to stay with Kadidite, are you absolutely sure? There's still time to take you back on the transport when I return. Lily was surprised by the timing of the question, but she said, Yes, I'm sure. As long as you tell Sov and Ilda, I'm okay. Families are really close where I'm from. If you don't happen to have one, you can't exactly recreate it. Oh, you can't recreate it on your world, said Rock. You may find more acceptance out there than on this one planet. <sighs> okay, if you are ready to move on, there's no reason not to tell you the whole truth. You'll learn more about the Empire later. And you'll be able to make your own conclusions. But I'd like to think you've already seen we are not oppressors. She nodded. When the original settlers of your colony chose a planet to terraform, they chose one which was already unstable. The terraforming technology made the instability worse. And that's where the Magma River came from, she said, matter-of-factly, as if she was discussing a science problem. But she realized a moment later, we made everything likely to blow up. We did that. Uh, more than that, said Rock. We don't understand at all, but it looks as if the planet you live... If, where we live, would have been better used as purely magical resource, uninhabited. Now it's a ball of magical energy with people walking around on the surface, and it's not going to last forever. What do you mean? I mean that if nothing is done, your colony world will explode before the people who are now children have become adults. His voice became direct and quiet. Your original leaders pulled back from the Empire when we told them this. They did not believe us. They said we made up stories to control them. Then they seceded at the time of the debacle. I'm sure they told you terrible events were a result of imperial negligence, which they were not. 
<laughs> he looked back and smiled as he finished. Once again, you'll you'll be able to have all the information and decide what you think for yourself. So since you're not evil oppressors, said Lily, but finished in all seriousness, why did you come? Oh, I wasn't privy to those discussions back in the beginning at the time when you seceded, he said frankly. My opinion is that they, we, left people with you because you're sitting on a time bomb and we didn't want you to either hurt anyone else in the area or die. Omega Colony, right? They're too close. Yeah, Omega Colony wasn't there at the time. Um, <clears throat> the Bastion is the organization I'm a part of, and I'll be glad to provide you public records as soon as we get on ship. Uh, we settled some people on an adjacent planet, hoping to reach out to you. They're like me. They come because of, it's their jobs. We're supported by the Bastion, and eventually they'll move on to other things. Their planet is less hospitable than the one we just left, although in a different way. It's unterraformed, with stations, rather than being explosively terraformed. Everyone else would be mad about that. That's right, said Lily. Is that why you didn't tell me? We didn't want your help? <laughs> I'm never sure whether we is you and me anymore, or me, the Bastion, or the Empire, but yes, that's right. <sighs> but yes, there are several other worlds full of people nearby. I believe that when your original leaders chose this particular world where we live, it was because all the other worlds with terraforming potential had been taken, or didn't need terraforming. What will you do if we explode? I'd rather not say, Rock said frankly. We can keep your world, truly, our world, from hurting anyone else. That's easy. The best way would be if the leaders asked for Imperial help. And the more energy we can siphon from the planet, the more stable it becomes. And the less energy we have to power our lives, right? Said Lily. Exactly, said Rock. That's why we haven't been given permission to do it yet. We've always known we're not alone in the galaxy. I just think we like to pretend we are. Most of us, anyway, said Lily. It's lonely. That's the focus of my mission, said Rock. To make things better for all of you in that way. We're not going to stop you from pretending anyone else isn't out there, if that's what the people still want to do. But we'll try to help you see how much else is possible when we work together. Lily was surprised to feel her cheeks growing hot and turned to look out the window. It was her first time to see space. The vision was almost as majestic and beautiful as the things Kadai died had shown her. Rock busied himself with the piloting controls. Lily suspected the controls didn't need any attention and he was just leaving her alone, but she appreciated the courtesy all the same. She could see the planet. Her whole planet. And it was round. <laughs> It struck Lily that was an absurd thought to have. She'd seen the horizon curving around during every long trip she'd ever taken in her life. But big and curved was still different than a ball. It was ironic that as she moved deeper into the fantastical reality she'd created with Kadai, Lily left Kadai further behind. The planet receded as the transport flew along swiftly towards its destination. Kadai should be here. She wasn't. She was there, and there was going away. Suddenly, Lily couldn't bear the flood of memories. The explosion that morning, which had nearly caught the ambulance, was too close to the explosion that had caught the transport bus and taken nearly all her family away from her. It had happened there, and there was a rapidly shrinking ball in the distance. The injured girl who Gable had healed in completely ordinary ways with Lily standing by with a healing device that looked too much like Lily's sister must have looked in her last moments. 
And that girl had appeared in Lili's life right in the midst of some of Kadai's most fanciful stories being revealed to be true. They were all there. And there was surrounded by a vast black void. And I don't know anything at all, Lili thought. She'd made noise to Rock about not having anyone left and not being able to recreate a family, but she'd still been surrounded by people she understood. Who knew what would happen when they docked? It was the naked fear, more than anything else, that pushed Lily to the place where she cried. Desperate to be quiet, but also overwhelmed, she looked at the barely visible planet and the void surrounding it and felt the shards of her psyche. Rock, kindly, just stayed at the controls. I don't want another ship to come for me, said Lily, realizing something all at once. I want to stay here and rebuild the interface. You can find a non-magical lab assistant on the roaming haven, right? I don't know if that's a good idea, said Rock. We'll be off planet, right? Far enough away to not trigger the magma? That was an odd thought for Lily, that she might have to not coordinate every decision with not blowing anything up in the back of her mind. Okay, Rock said. You'll have to meet standard safety protocols, but you can try it. I'll get Commander Ellen to give you a lab assistant. Come on, we're here. It would have been just past dusk by Lily's time as she stepped through the hatch from Rock's tiny ship into the docking bay of the Roaming Haven. It was easily the most enormous artificial environment Lily had ever seen. She was surprised that it still had its own beauty. It wasn't the quiet, wood-tinged beauty of the forest, but a strong, clean sense built with steel colors and lights. The woman who greeted Rock and Lily had tan skin, no scales, and smooth black strings coming from the back of her head. Lily blinked, reminding herself not to stare. She said, Rock, I need you to leave immediately, but we'll all take good care of your scientist. Do you think you're getting through to the people down there at all? Rock shook his head. No. If things keep going the way they are, this mission is probably going to fail. And I do need to get back. Everyone will miss me soon. <laughs> and I gotta walk from the woods once I land. Park somewhere else, the unfamiliar woman said to Rock's retreating back. He waved his hand once, Lily guessed, indicating that he'd heard her, and he was gone. The woman said, Hello, Lily. I'm Commander Ellen. Rock thinks very highly of you. Would you like to see the ship? Lily would, for the rest of her life, be embarrassed at the first words upon meeting a member of another species were, Are you ill? Why did your scales fall out? <laughs> I can uh, understand how you would think that, she said, making Lily feel a little bit better. It's normal for you to have scales. We call your species kobolds. Uh, we call my species humans. Lily repeated, kobolds. It wasn't difficult to say. Trying not to look any more ignorant than she already did, she said, I would very much like to see the ship, uh, but would you please take me to the lab first? You can show me the ship later. Yes, I understand that. Come right this way. They took a sharp turn from the docking bay and into a corridor. Lily once again struggled to keep up and not reveal her astonishment. The corridors weren't like underground tunnels. They felt secure. Can you tell me what you're working on? Rock wasn't able to get the specifics through. Lily said, gesturing Kadai Meet my magic tequil ray. I named her Kadai after my sister. Kadai, it's the only way to talk to her is through this magitech conducive metal, and she uses images and connections rather than words. She can heal anything. Anything. I look forward to seeing that. Commander Ellen seemed encouraging, but Lily couldn't read anything else about her expression through the lack of scales and the different face shape. Lily would learn, but not yet. 
Here you are, then, said Commander Ellen, sliding open an identical-looking door to reveal a room, not too unlike the forest lab she had been used to before. Uh, should I have a cot brought in for you to sleep on? If you wouldn't think it was weird, said Lily. I would probably do the same in your position, said Commander Ellen, frankly. We do have quarters prepared for you as soon as you want them, though. I'll leave you to settle in while I see whether your lab assistant is finished with breakfast. She suited actions to words, and Lily was left alone. Lily carefully unstrapped Kadidide and set her in the middle of the largest table. She couldn't bear to look at the twisted metal fragments where the old neck piece had been, so she set about removing them carefully, leaving the interfaces clean and exposed. Magic didn't work like technology, but circuits were circuits. When Lily looked up from her work, she discovered a new scaleless face watching her quietly. Oh, are, are you also human? said Lily. Ah, uh, I'm an elf. My name is Meral. She gestured somewhere in the direction of her upper face. See? Lily looked away. Um, I hate to sound ignorant, but I don't know what I'm supposed to be looking at. I haven't been around anyone who isn't a cobbled. She sighed and waited for a string of mockery that never gave. Oh, I'm sorry, said Meral. I was pointing at my ears. Most humans think the difference between elven ears and human ears is the first thing people noticed. You're not human, and they probably look the same to you. I don't have a tail either, for example. You sound different, though, said Lily. Your voice is fuller than a human's. I can't explain it. She trailed off and realized that, although both human and elven voices had a different timbre than she'd ever heard before, she understood every word that had been said to her. Hang on, how do you speak my language? Are we speaking the same language? I feel so stupid. Oh, it's okay, said Meryl. You're handling all this better than I could. We are speaking Imperial. It's my second language. Uh, here, here's my first. <clears throat> she was silent for a moment, looked away and back and then said a few phrases that were completely unintelligible to Lily, but closer to music than she thought was possible for spoken word. Meral switched back to Imperial and said, I just said I was happy to meet you, and I wanted to know what we were building. What are we building? Meral looked over the lab table, bouncing on the toes of her feet. This was typical, at least for Meral, Lily would conclude over the next several days, whether or not it would apply to elves everywhere, huh. She acted like a professional in every situation in which it was required, and then threw it aside the moment it was not required and something interested her. Lily would have given anything to have that kind of control over herself. Uh, this, is, this is a healing device, she said. My friend and co-worker Sav and I essentially built it as a, a small computer with only healing magic in each layer. We couldn't figure out how to put in a normal user interface since there was no room for language circuits. And my other friend and co-worker Ilda found supplies for me to make kind of a living metal interface so the device can pick up base thoughts, images, connections, stuff like that. The interface was torn off last night, so now I have to build a new one. And I'm guessing you're here to help me, so can you help me find some metal? Meral laughed. Yes. I have several different types available, though we might need to go down to engineering to get them. But wait a second. You're saying you use magic to make it so you can control this computer with your thoughts. Uh, you don't really control her, said Lily, realizing only in that instant that it was true. All you can do is talk to her that way, and then she does stuff. Meral's eyes widened. So where does it, she, pull the power from? And what does she do? Sav and Ilda had never asked those kind of questions. Lily started to say that everyone knew the world was full of too much power, and then stopped as she realized what she was about to say. In the end, the only thing that came out was an honest, I don't know. I'm sorry, I don't need to make you feel bad for building things you don't understand, do I? So far, Lily had two for two for making bad first impressions. 
Kadai would have done so much better. I guess you don't, said Lily. And I think I'm going to be horrified at all the things that almost happened before this is over. How so? That interface I built so you can control her with your mind, it's essentially psionically conductive metal, and the connection goes both ways. We made Kadai to understand she can't heal people in the world because it's unstable, and she can't try to heal the world herself because she just ignited all the power, but that means she sees the truth that she just wants to heal everything she sees. Do you think she's actually intelligent? To me, she is. That might be enough. Well, it's enough to keep trying with her, said Meral. Well, what are we waiting for? Let's head to engineering, see what metals are available. It turned out to be a short trip. Lily was impressed by what the ship was capable of. They sent Lily back with a portable matter shape converter type device or something. Lily hadn't paid attention to what it was called, only what it did. And Meral, with some light, malleable metal, that should work just fine. Does this heal device remake things, too? Said Meral when they were back in the lab. Uh, Kadaidai regrew a butterfly's wings, said Lily, hearing and allowing the pride into her voice. Uh, I want to test that part, too. And I have an informed volunteer subject, said Meral. She pulled up a leg of her pants and took her lower leg off. See, within the Empire, it's easy to get a mechanical arm or leg, but I guess I don't have to convince you about prosthetics, do I? It works for everything I need it to, but if I stub my toe on the right side, I can't feel it. I'm going to see if I can fix it with your device, with, with Kadaidide. And if you can't, said Lily, feeling lightheaded. Meryl shrugged. One of the ship's doctors will fix my mistake, and I'll go back to using the mechanical leg. Come on, show me how the Magitek construction is done. Even though Meryl couldn't help with the magic casting part itself, she was surprisingly quick and adept at shaping the metal through the different stages. It only took two days to build a better interface, molded such that it could fit races who were not kobolds, as well as Lily's own kind. It was well past midnight, ship time, on the second day, when Lily and Meryl agreed it was done. Testing had to wait for morning. Even without the constant heat under her feet, Lily knew it wasn't wise to experiment at times when help wasn't available. Meryl sighed and agreed that she'd feel more comfortable experimenting on herself when needed in a sick bay with doctors standing by. So, tell me about your sister, Meral said as the two lay on their cots, one on each side of the corners of the lab. My sister's name was Kat Kadai, said Lily. She was always my best friend. And, yeah. But she felt too tired to speak further. She'd had nine days of little work or effort and then suddenly two days of insanely hard work. She opened her mouth to apologize but was asleep before she could get the words out. In the morning, and under the head ship doctor's watchful care, Meral successfully strapped on Kadaidide, aiming the tubes at the place where the rest of her right leg should have been, and healed it. Lily fought back several immature reactions. She wanted to cheer, to cry. Kadaidide actually worked. If there was only a way to send her back in time, Kadai could have been saved. Non-magical civilians could heal. Meral conducted herself politely and professionally in front of the doctor. Once he'd given her the go-ahead to leave his office, she walked serenely and fluently, with no limp, all the way back to the lab. Once the door was shut and Kadaidide was back on her place in the lab table, Meral jumped around and cheered a few times, which Lily had been expecting. But then she collapsed on her cot, which Lily hadn't been expecting. I'm tireder than I thought, Meral admitted. Does Kadaidide use personal energy? I guess that's possible, said Lily. 
I didn't notice it when I used her, but I had a lot of adrenaline at those times. Now that you mention it, though, I'm kind of tired as well. She sat down on her own cot. But don't you want to talk to Kadaidai now, too? Yes, but... And for the second time in two days, she fell asleep in the middle of a sentence. Every time in the past several years, when Lily had pictured her ultimate success, and there had been many, constant exhaustion and lack of direction had not entered the picture. Although no one pressured her to immediately put Kadaidite into stasis, no one directed her to use Kadaidite again, or for different experiments either. Lily spent long sessions with the neck piece on, just talking with Kadaidite, or allowing Meral to do so. Besides that, Lily and Meral had spent a lot of time talking with each other. Lily learned that Meral had joined the organization that also employed Rock, uh, the Bastion, as a lifelong dream, but a later realized one, and had worked on several different planets before. Lab assistant wasn't her calling, after all. It was something she did as part of her duties in this moment. I was a professional lab assistant, or the next best thing to it, said Meral. I was in charge of a lot of sensitive equipment on the University of Phalaris. The third evening, Lily and Meral were summoned back to sickbay. Rock was waiting there, looking, as he always seemed to look, out of breath. I'll need to leave in two hours, so I can be back in my expected place before dawn down there. Hi to you, too, said Lily. Rock smiled. Hi, everyone. You know I can't just pop back in here on a whim. I want the doctor to do a soul scan on both of you. Lily felt a flicker of shame at having to ask, although not nearly as powerful as she had earlier in her life. What's a soul scan? Meral answered before Rock could. A soul scan detects soul damage, she said. Her skin was lighter than usual. Uh, pale was the word Lily had learned as applying to the constitution of human-like species. Soul damage affects soul energy, your life force, the drive that makes you want to do things. You mean like my dreams to make Kadidite in the first place, said Lily. Yeah, said Meral. No one panic, said Rock. Doctor, if you would. Lily sat still. She didn't know what devices the doctor used and did not care. Rock, rather than the doctor, delivered the results. You are both showing damage. It's the same damage that alerted us at the normal scan this morning. You are the only two people to have used Kadaidite, right? Kadaidite didn't do this! Lily cried. I'm not accusing her, Rock said gently. I'm not any kind of engineer, so I didn't understand. It looks like the kind of advanced medical healing Kadaidite is doing, when she grows new limbs, is done using your images and perceptions and the energy from your soul. Ah, that's why things have seemed so weird, said Meral. Why we've been so tired. Soul energy is like you, you driving energy, so once it's gone, things no longer seem so important. But I'm still me, said Lily. I still care. I, I don't understand. They spent over an hour explaining the whole of the situation to her, what soul damage actually did and was, whether or not to attempt treatment and how that would work, what she and Meral would expect, and all Lily would remember would be her constant desperate pleas not to destroy Kadaidite or to leave her alone. Send. Trans 6364. Receive 5E50. A-man. 3. Immediate. Our man. Now that the whole of the facts have come to the surface, it seems to me as if Imperial scientists had not previously developed a healing-regenerating device because they would not deliberately make something that bonds to the user's soul, and no other possible ways are known to us yet. 
Kadidide should not be used, except under extreme circumstances by fully informed volunteers. I believe that it would be safer to keep her in stasis until and if a traditional linguistic interface can be developed. I'm afraid we may already have a fully realized case of droid effect on our hands. I can see no flaw in Lili's arguments, and the sickbay soul scanners did not detect activity or damage when anyone used the interface for communication only. I'm attaching all relevant records. Please treat the information as classified and send to those in medical research who have need of it. Regarding my primary mission, I have located a half-dozen contacts near Capital City whose outlooks seem more individualistic in nature. The Omega Colony representatives have negotiated with these individuals for use of energy in several uninhabited areas. I have attached the map. Please send Imperial ships to siphon energy from these locations with all appropriate speed. Even though she used the lab equipment only to talk with Kadaidide, Lily never switched to ship quarters. When she woke from vivid nightmares about explosions to stare out the lab window at her home planet, floating serenely in space, perhaps with a little more red than she remembered, but that was probably her imagination, then it comforted Lily to look over and see Kadaidide right there, a familiar outline on the table, and perhaps someone to exchange a few more thoughts with before going to sleep again. Meral returned to her own quarters and to other duties, but checked in on Lily every couple of days, sometimes only staying for a moment, sometimes staying all morning as the rest of the ship drifted on around them. Meral was the other person right there who understood viscerally what it felt like to walk through life muted. I feel guilty about what happened to you, Lily admitted. I lost soul energy saving a life. You just created a limb when you already had a perfectly good prosthetic. I'm, I'm glad to have it, said Meryl. It's still a part of me. She met Lily's eyes and looked down and said, That's the cliche, isn't it? Truth is that if I had to do it all over, I wouldn't have done it. But it was my choice to try something I couldn't have known, and you don't deserve any blame. I still get the honor of being one of the only two people to have ever used her. I don't think anyone will ever use her to heal, said Lily. They might to talk. Do you think so? If you had Kadai died right now and you had full knowledge, would you use her at your sister? There will be other people like that. Meral stopped for a second and then said, I'm sorry, that was rude, wasn't it? I talk too much and I forget when things shouldn't be said out loud. No, it's, it's okay, Lily said, feeling at once sad and warmed. Let me tell you about Kadai. Lily woke from another dream about her world exploding. She glanced at the lab clock, which showed middle of the night. She looked out the window where the planet hung serenely. She looked at the lab table where Kadaidide was in her usual spot. It's normal. I can go back to sleep, Lily thought. The computer, which Lily had been informed was also a communicator, chimed. Lily got up and went over to it. She didn't know how to answer. Later she'd kick herself for not learning keyboard controls. But the screen automatically filled with Rock's face. Pixelation on either side let her know the transmission had some extra security. They'd used things like that back at the hospital, too. Lily, Rock said without preamble. I have only a minute, and then I'll call Commander Ellen and have her start preparations, too. I wanted to tell you that your idea made a difference. In the past several months, we've been able to siphon off enough energy that our world isn't going to blow up with an explosion, uh, just quietly. If it weren't for you, we wouldn't have been able to get the permission to siphon off energy at all. Well, that's good, then, said Lily. Rack ground his teeth together. I wish we'd been siphoning for months longer. But there's no use talking about that now. Well, then... Can I meet the evacuating ship? I want to see everyone again. I never got to say goodbye to my adopted parents. 
Rock looked pained. We don't have permission to evacuate everyone. All those trade deals were through Omega Colony. So have Omega Colony evacuate the people. Is that manipulating them? We can't evacuate people against their wishes, said Rock. I'd rather be manipulated than dead. She spat the words in anger, and for once, without a hint of the new normal dullness, covering the cold fear. Sov, Ilda, her parents and siblings, no one deserved to die like that. Well, so would I, frankly, said Rock, but I can't make that decision for them. You damn well better, said Lily, crying openly not caring. She'd have pounded the screen if it had helped anything. Rock went back into that same slow word choice mode he'd used in Lily's small house once upon a time, over a mug of tea. Lily found it even more infuriating. I work to help people do what they decided, not to make their decisions for them. Lily wasn't even sure she was coherent, and she knew the emotion wasn't helping her case, but she didn't care. Well, I'm making the decision for Sov and Ilda and the families and adoptive brother and children and sister. So sometimes you do save people. Rock thought about it for another minute. Lily yelled some more. You have a point, Rock said finally. I'll have the transport sent from the colony. We can't force anyone to get on it, though. Lily didn't have a response. Rock cut the transmission without seeming to notice. Send trans sixty three sixty four. Receive four e fifty. A man pry four. Desis our man. There are over twenty thousand survivors on board, and this transport will soon rejoin the broader galaxy. We await direction for our destination. I suggest the recent resettlement system, Reserse. The anecdotal examples I have indicate these people understand almost nothing about modern imperial society, and I believe the periphery would be better for them to keep their way of life intact than a more high-traffic area would. I request to be able to stay with these people for a while longer. Although the nature of the situation no longer requires an echo, I believe my primary mission has not yet been completed. Everyone on this ship made a split-second decision to accept aid, which came in the name of the Omega Colony, but could easily be deduced back to the Empire. Thus, they made the decision, at least in the moment, to surrender tribalistic attitude. I want to help them keep their way of life as intact as possible without the paranoid destructive elements. The Lily of a few months earlier would have had a mental, profound revelation statement about the things she saw and felt in the moment. Something about life being a string of moments or memories, maybe. Maybe Kadaidide would have something to say about that later. Lily had turned from the ended transmission with Rock and walked straight to Merol's quarters. She'd hovered at the outside, not wanting to say anything or ask anything she should not, but Merol... Already awake and looking out the window at the planet, had opened the door and ushered her inside. They hadn't talked. Meral just held her while she cried out all her frustration, fear, and anger. And after that, all they had to do was wait. The roaming haven had docked with the Happens Always, a transport from the Omega Colony, briefly. No one wanted to advertise Bastion presence to the whole of the population quite yet. It was long enough for Lily to slip downstairs and start searching through crowds for her friends and adoptive family. Meral had helped her with a conveniently timed passenger location list through Lily's new earpiece, and Lily had been able to locate Ilda, Sov, and her adoptive family, in that order, with all the families clustered together. They were disappointed that Lily wasn't going with them, but anxious to hear all about it through communicator later. They seemed happy enough. 
At the moment, as Lily once again stared between the window of her lab, now showing the roaming haven in motion, and Kadaidide motionless on the table, her breath was taken away, again without a hint of dullness, by the worlds out before her now. She had never frit in her whole life on a world that she had and did still call home. Now it was to be replaced by millions more. But Kadaidide should see this, she thought. She sat next to the lab table and leaned her neck on the neck piece. Home, she thought, projecting multiplicity and serenity. Kadaidide would understand. 